The Truth News Network. A lone voice cries out in the night for an end to the lies, for an end to the deceptions, for an end to the corruption, for an end to the cancel culture that destroys wantonly all that oppose it. Where do you find that voice? <laughs> right here. His name is Dan Newman. Thank you, Pete. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing today? Let's just get one thing straight. You heard Pete Moss allude to it, just a little bit of it in the opening there. There's a whole lot of stuff going on around us. It's almost, it's virtually impossible to get our arms around all of it, to understand it, to get every detail in place. Chaos is the rule of law today in the United States. It used to be the Constitution and all of the laws that are passed in Congress. No more. That kind of stuff, it happens kind of. You know, the real supposed-to kind of things, they kind of happen. But what really is happening I mean, what's going on every day, all day, 24-7? Chaos. It's everywhere we look. It's in everything we hear. It's in everything we see. There's so much uncertainty. i got to be honest with you. I understand why the suicide attempt rates for people of all ages, even our kids, I'm talking about kids 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 years old, are contemplating killing themselves in hundreds and thousands across the nation. I understand it. It's because the things that we take for granted for so long in our lives, those things that are very critical to our state of mind, to our peace, to our health, mental, emotional, and biological, we take them for granted, but they work, folks, Well, at least they have worked. They've kept most of us sane. Yeah, we've we've learned how to dodge the roadblocks and to maneuver around the potholes in the road that we're traveling. We all find ways to do that. We don't think much about it. We just do it. It's kind of like it's in our DNA. But now, folks, our life, my life today looks very little like it did Two and a half years ago. How about yours? Is there one cause, two causes, three? How many issues out there, how many things out there are causing this uncertainty, this fear, this chaos that we're all experiencing and we're trying to find ways to process it into our minds without destroying our minds? I don't know, folks. I can tell you this. There's plenty of it to go around. And the saddest thing is, just about every day, we find some one more thing that teaches us a lot of what we're experiencing, a lot of the stuff that's not good that we're experiencing, is planned. It's purposely put into our worlds, and it's purposely put into our worlds to instill fear. What do most people do when they're constantly, 24-7, bombarded with fear. They just roll up in a ball. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to see anybody. They certainly don't want to talk about anything. 
More and more Americans are finding themselves there. And that's sad. And it's principally every part of it. The source for every part of this is the politicization, the demonization through politicization of every one of us. If you don't hook, line, and sinker agree with all the stuff the government is doing and the government tells us and the experts that the government brings in, they reaffirm it. We've turned into sheeple. I've used that term here before. We follow benignly, and we're people, but we're just following. And folks, it's like they're taking us down a hill towards a deep, 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 deep lake, and we're all fighting to see who can get out front because we want to be cool. We want to be part of the end crowd. We want to be part of those that are making the right decisions. And making the right decisions is in quotation marks because they're not. We're just simply following them. We got to stop that. Thankfully, many Americans, many people around the world have stopped it, are stopping it, and aren't just sitting there doing nothing about it. They're in uh, confrontation mode with their governments. Have you heard What's going on in Austria this week? Tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Our mainstream media won't cover it. People have been in the streets of the major cities in Austria for months. I mean, very aggressively protesting all of the egregious COVID-19 lockdowns. Everything from masks to stay inside to vaccinations. Listen to what the legislature in Austria is voting on tomorrow. And it looks like it's going to pass. Every Austrian citizen that's over the age of 18, every single one, will be required to be vaccinated 100%. Boosters the whole nine yards. By law, every Austrian is going to have to get a jab. And it's a criminal event if you don't get a jab. What does that sound like? Have we ever heard anything at all even remotely similar to that? Yeah, just across the border from Austria, Germany, 1940s. You remember those years, folks? It's happening around us. Will it come to our shores? Well, that's the big question we need answers for. I predicted a year ago on this show, in the very early days of TNN Live, I predicted that vaccine mandates will come to the United States unless the people rise up before it happens and make certain their voices are heard and that it is unacceptable to us. You might say, Dan, there's no evidence of that coming down. Oh, yeah, there is. There is. The president of the United States, while he was campaigning, even after he was inaugurated, he said multiple times, I have no authority 
to mandate vaccinations. The government has no authority to do that. Over and over, he even promised he wouldn't do it. And in September, he didn't apologize. He didn't say, you know, I said this in my campaigning, but things have changed, so we're going to have these vaccine mandates. He didn't say any of that. He just rolled his sleeves up and basically said, here it is. It's this or nothing. Do it because I'm the president and the government says do it. Well, the government doesn't and didn't say do it, did they? The government is not one person. This is the, we're living in the illustration of autocracy where one person surrounded by a small group of very powerful people rule the government top to bottom and they point their fingers at Donald Trump as being an autocrat a dictator wannabe how many times have you heard them say that we hear it every day here at TNN Live the picture of an autocrat is sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue right now There's something very common in the Democrat Party in their line of reasoning, their thinking, their talking points. It's universal. When they get adamant, I mean over-the-top angry, and start getting in everybody's faces about something, you can bet every single time what they are accusing others of, it's long been being done by members of their group. Yesterday, we played a couple of sound bites here for you, some audio files where people in Congress use the A-word talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not in office. And when he served his four years, he was 180 degrees the other way from autocracy and his being an autocrat. He relied totally on Congress. Yeah, he issued some executive orders, but not like this guy, not like this guy's boss when he was in office. Executive orders have historically only been used to clarify existing laws that are on the books where there may be some misunderstandings or they need to tweak it to get it a little more refined. But Joe Biden has used executive orders to make laws, which is unconstitutional. He can't do that. Only the United States Congress. You know, that group that represents the people, the government that's supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, but not in this administration. He doesn't need Congress. And that is the 900-pound gorilla in his room today. He cannot get Congress to relent and let the most egregious, most totalitarian piece of legislation in U.S. history be passed that has nothing to do with the rule of law. In fact, it almost totally subverts the law. It it wants to take over the entire election system in all 50 states and even Puerto Rico. Why would they want to do that? 
There's no way this federal government can run an election system expeditiously and with any credibility. It's impossible. Name me one thing the federal government does better than state governments or even private individuals and corporations. One thing they do better. They do a lot of things, but everything the government touches, it's going to cost us as taxpayers at least twice as much, and it's never going to be run the way it should be run or the way they tell us they're going to run it when they sell it to us. And this administration, folks, OMG, it's a lost cause. Honestly, when Joe Biden was announced to be the president, I knew things were going to be bad. I knew they would happen pretty quickly because of his campaign promises, which he started enacting on day one. But even before he was inaugurated, things started going downhill from here. And of course, there's never any accountability from the left, never any for themselves regarding anything. They never apologize. They never admit they're wrong. When we as Americans, we sit down here looking at the Potomac River Valley and we want answers. We want to know what's going on. We don't. We want to know why it's going on. And all we get is sit down and shut up. They don't ever... Think about mainstream media, what, what I opened with, about what's going on in Austria tomorrow. That's going to impact the world. Do you know that the process that they're selling to not the... Austrian people, but to fellow members in their governing body, they're selling this. We will make a vaccine card or even a biological chip that every Austrian will use, and they're selling this as positive because it will contain all their credit information. It will contain all their medical records, all their financial Banking information, they'll have it right there in them, with them, all day, every day. And they're making that be the good thing. We've got to get everybody vaccinated, of course. You know, Austrian people are dying. They want to vaccinate by law every Austrian 18 years or older. And they're voting on it tomorrow. If it happens in Austria, do you think it's just going to sit there? You think that country's going to sit there in the middle of Europe and no other country's going to look on and see what happens and replicate it? Oh my gosh. I hate to admit this, but there are world leaders around the globe who are foaming at the mouth at the thought of being able to do this, push this out on their citizenry. And sad, so sad, but true. Our guy on top of the heap in government right now, based upon not what he says, but based upon what he does, he wants that to happen here. And the truth of the matter is, you know, those television live injections that we all watched our president get, I will bet you if there's any way possible to find out, which there's not, 
but I will bet you that if he's tested, he did not get COVID-19 vaccines. That's a conspiracy, Dan. Yeah, it is, because I don't have the facts. But based upon all of the ancillary facts that we do have, I don't think any of these big-time leftist leaders in our government are vaccinated, or most of them. I really don't. That's a story for another day, and that is my personal opinion. What is factual is that here in the United States, we have a whole lot of stuff, very important stuff, that's sitting right in front of us now. And I don't know about you, but I'm breathlessly waiting to see what happens in the Senate regarding this voter voting rights bill that they are desperate to get the filibuster busted so they can get it passed. So once again, front and center in all of this, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, he stated yesterday there are already laws and rules in place to ensure that people have the right to vote. We already have that. And even though people act like we're going to obstruct people from voting, that's not going to happen. It's not happening now. Manchin was asked, there are a lot of people out there who are saying that you're making it so that they're not going to be able to vote in the next election. And he responded, the law's there already. The rules are there already. And basically, the government's there. The government will stand behind them and make sure they have the right to vote. We have that. The things they're talking about now are in court. Mark Elias has an awful lot in court. The courts have struck down, like in Ohio, they struck down the gerrymandering. Things are happening, okay? We act like we're going to obstruct people from voting. That's not going to happen. And I said this yesterday, if you weren't here. Well, if you were here, (laughs) I still said it yesterday. If there is rampant voter fraud, voter suppression, whatever you want to call it, going on around the nation. Where's the evidence? More people voted in the 2020 election than ever before. Four years before that, the same thing. How many people are raising their hands and screaming and hollering and getting on even CNN and MSNBC so that all the world can see them? Giving us evidence of voter fraud, of voter suppression. It's not there. There is no doubt that there are some cases where it does happen. I don't know of a single instance. I'm just trying to cover my tracks by saying, yeah, it's possible there's some of it going on. But folks... It is not happening in large or anything close to being in large. Manchin hit the nail on the head. It has nothing to do with voting. What they're doing has nothing to do, or what they're trying to do, nothing to do with voting. It has to do with power, singularly, only power. Democrats want to be able to use whatever issues, methods, ways, processes they can come up with to flood the polls on election day with voters and with mail-in ballots or even drop-off ballots that are not truthful, legal votes, period. 
That's what this is about. Ed Markey, you remember him, Senator now from Massachusetts, former governor of Massachusetts? He was on Hallie Jackson Report's show at MSNBC yesterday. And he called the filibuster, which is what they're trying to do away with, he calls it racist in its origin and intent. He said, we need 60 votes to protect voting rights. That's their talking point. We got to protect. We got to protect them, our voting rights. We have 50 Democrats ready to go. Every Democrat is ready to protect voting rights. We need 10 Republicans. We can't find Republicans to back voting rights, to stop the suppression of the votes in state after state, red state after red state, where the state legislatures are making it more difficult for black and brown people to vote. Every word of that, yeah, they do need 60 votes, but not to protect voting rights. They need 60 votes to drive their steal the election permanently bill into the hearts and lives of every American. Markey added, we're hoping this debate will touch something in Republican senators' hearts that unleashes a historic perspective in terms of their commitment to voting rights. If it doesn't, we need to have a debate. In my opinion, on the filibuster, it's racist in its origin. It's racist in its intent. And we have to ultimately have a vote on whether or not we repeal the filibuster so that we can pass voting rights without a single Republican supporting it, which is a sad commentary on the state of the Trump Republican Party in 2022. Markey illustrated exactly the heart of the Democrat Party. He dropped nuggets in those two paragraphs that I just gave to you verbatim. The last line, not supporting what they want to call a voter integrity, a voting rights law. Folks, it's totally unnecessary. Hey, Ed, you got a problem with voter suppression in Massachusetts? That's the state you represent. Why don't you give us the details? We'll go to bat with you and for you to make sure that person or persons don't have problems voting because obviously they're legally registered. They have a right to vote whatever election they're supposed to vote in and they're being impeded from doing so by these horrible, quote, Trump Republican Party members. Tell us about it. Let's have a little sworn testimony, get some facts and evidence, and then let's go prosecute the wrongdoers. Not one, not one, not one case has been brought forth by the Democrat parties. They own CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times. They own them, folks. If it was really happening we would be seeing that instead of seeing and hearing African-Americans from top to bottom, left to right coast, north to south, across the country saying voter ID is not racist. We have the capacity and the ability to register to vote and vote. And most of them take it even further. They say the fact that the Democrat Party is beating this drum 
is racist in itself because it intimates that people of color can't get an ID, they can't register to vote. And I heard one guy in an interview we played here for you last week up in New York say, it nauseates me that these people, and he didn't mention Democrat Party, but he made it very obvious who he was talking about, that they think we're so stupid and unable and uneducated. It's nauseating, he said. That's where they are, folks. Where are you today? Well, these are not the only important issues of the day. But I'm going to tell you what, they are rabid about getting it done. Let me tell you how bad it is. Senator Bernie Sanders, yesterday, he said he's he's open to primarying Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Why? Because they don't support breaking the filibuster. Joe Manchin's the guy we just quoted from West Virginia before Ed Markey. Kirsten Sinema, Democrat senator from Arizona. Those two Democrats have come out and made it very plain. They're not going to cave and fall in with their brethren in the Democrat Party that are trying to ram not only the voting suppression law, make it law, but the bill back better. They want to ram them both through with not a single Republican vote. One congressional reporter yesterday asked Bernie if he would support a primary challenger to senators who don't support changing the filibuster. Sanders responded, well, yeah. Manchin appeared unfazed by what Bernie said, a threat. I've been primaried my entire life, Manchin said. That wouldn't be anything new for me. It's rough and tumble. We're used to that. Bring it on. Manchin also said he would not support the efforts to revive the talking filibuster to bypass the Senate centuries-old filibuster rules. That's the one with it would force senators that want to block consideration of a bill on the floor to talk on the Senate floor for hours and hours, even days, rather than just announcing that they will filibuster the legislation. After senators stopped their talking filibuster, the Senate could stop legislation then with just 51 votes. That's, that's a dream that they've been talking up because they can't convince people across the aisle in the Senate that this legislation is good for the American people. Why don't we start there instead of end there? Why don't we objectively look at every piece of legislation that comes forward, its merits, its negatives, and make logical, educated, and informed decisions for our people that we represent rather than for our party who wants to maintain what they have in the way of power, but make that power permanent through getting all these votes. And they think while all of this is going on, you do realize they're not getting anything done in Congress. Nothing. Nothing. And it's not like we don't have at least six things that need to be fixed, right? <laughs> this is They're all obsessed with this. They're not doing anything else. 
I can imagine what their staffs are doing because what they're being forced, the staffers, is to find us stuff when we get up and do a speech, find us stuff that we can ridicule and rip apart the Republicans. When you hear a speech, I, I just, I don't, I don't just throw myself into watching and listening to testimony and the operations of either the House or the Senate. You've got C-SPAN. They cover them both. One of them covers the House. The other covers the Senate when, uh, Senate when live stuff is going on. Every once in a while, I'll look in. I looked in two or three times yesterday to the Senate. When, I think they're Senate, C-SPAN too. Anyway, both times, Chuck Schumer was at the, at the podium pontificating about how evil all you Republicans are because you won't support voter integrity. You won't stop voter suppression. Those are their talking points, and boy, when they get on something, when that dog gets on a bone, he's going to chew that bone to pieces, and they are doing that exact same thing. And then there's President Biden. You remember this with with a lot of drama. He declared to the nation on MLK Day, Monday, that state laws requiring voter ID or banning mass mailing of absentee ballots amounts to, and this is a quote, an assault on our freedom to vote, especially for minority Americans. Four days earlier, up in Michigan, they took a poll, said something quite different. Three-quarters of the battleground state voters support ballot ID requirements, 75%, with black voters expressing their support at 79% for voter ID. Now, wait a minute. This is a novel idea. Joe Biden, senator from Delaware, actually lived a little bit in Pennsylvania, but That's his home state now, Delaware. He knows more about racism than do these black voters in America. At least that's what he's telling us. Now, those numbers I gave you, they've been confirmed in national polls as well, exposing a dilemma for Democrats in D.C. They're making their last-ditch effort to pass that legislation that guts many state and local controls of elections in favor of the federal standards. And those standards, like banning voter ID, imposing no-excuse absentee voting and making it harder to clean outdated voter rolls, those are not the things that the majority of Americans are seeking. A two-week-old poll from Rasmussen found key election, four key election reforms that are supported by more than 80% of voters. They include removing people who have died or moved from voter registration lists, requiring all voters to show photo ID before they can cast their ballot electronically, mail, whatever, wanting all ballots received by election day, and having all voting machines made and operated with software made in the United States. 80% of Americans, (laughs) and Rasmussen's polling, folks, 
it's almost always the top number one most accurate. 78% of African-American voters in that poll support voter ID. So the public sentiments impose a really tough reality check on Joe Biden's argument that state voter laws amount to Jim Crow 2.0 and are disenfranchising poor and minority voters. Most voters don't see cleaning outdated names from voter rolls or requiring IDs to cast ballots as obstacles to the ballot box, like Biden continually demands over and over and over every time he gets a microphone in his face or gives a speech. The polling may help us understand why several centrist Democrats, like Joe Manchin, also a name we haven't mentioned, John Tester, Democrat out of Montana, and Kirsten Sinema and Mark Kelly of Arizona. These folks are resisting efforts to change the Senate filibuster rule just so Democrat voting legislation can pass with a simple majority and not the 60 votes that are required by Senate rules. Elections take place at the local level in a decentralized way because, number one, that's where you have transparency. That's where you have familiarity. That's former Ohio Secretary of State Ken Blackwell. That's where you have buy-in. And if you start to take it away from states and localities, you run the risk of the same clown car that has driven this constitutional republic to the edge of disaster. I'll just say, this is Blackwell, I'll just say, quoting one of the historic figures, Thomas Paine, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must undergo the fatigue of supporting it. By the way, Blackwell is Ohio's first black Republican elections chief. That is what we now are seeking across this country. People are, in fact, resisting this Democrat Party's stupidity. Robert Woodson, civil rights icon of the 60s, he's argued for more conservative market-based solutions for black America in recent decades. He said the disconnect between Dems and the black community, it extends far beyond voter ID to issues like defunding the police and is being driven by a small group of vocal elitists. If you just look at the numbers, 80% of blacks polled are against defunding the police. 60% polled don't believe that racial discrimination today is a principal barrier for them to have success in their lives. That's from Bob Woodson. And so it's really a small percentage of elites, both black and white progressives, who are pushing this false narrative. And they're being aided and abetted by the mainstream press who refuses to ask the real, the right, the critical questions. And it's really unfortunate that black lives are being sacrificed just to get black votes. It's all political. Then there's Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina, one of only two African Americans in the U.S. Senate right now. He said in an interview on Monday that most people reject Biden's comparisons of today's voting legislation opponents to the segregationist of the past. Quote, to compare or conflate people who oppose his positions as being racist and traitors to the country 
is not only insulting and infuriating, it's dead wrong. Scott's talking to the Associated Press. All you have to do is know the facts, and you realize that the president wasn't misleading us only. He was actually lying to us in order to amass political power, basically lying to us. Biden's decision to use the King holiday as a backdrop to push his voting legislation and exposed another rift. There isn't even agreement within the late civil right leaders on family about the need for the legislation. His son, Martin Luther King III, joined Biden for Monday's push for the legislation, saying his dad rejected arguments a half century ago that equality couldn't be furthered by one party legislation. They told him he had to change hearts first, the younger king said to the crowd. And he worked hard at that. After all, he was a Baptist preacher. But he knew that when someone is denying you your fundamental rights, conversation and optimism won't get you very far. But then there's Alveda King, Martin Luther King's niece. She has relentlessly attacked the Biden-backed legislation as the Freedom to Cheat Act that will increase the risk of election fraud while scolding the president for practicing racially divisive politics. It's grotesquely offensive to compare segregated lunch counters, attack dogs, fire hoses, and Bull Connor to showing a photo ID to vote. Simply proving you are who you say you are to cast a ballot is fundamental to election security. I'm done with the voter issues right there by saying this. If they really, if they honestly feel like the election system in the United States is evil, if it's racial, if it's whatever or whatever it is, and they honestly wanted to fix it, they wouldn't do this. This is not going to fix anything except they're losing all these Democrats that are moving over to the conservative side of our political spectrum. 40%, a swing in 40% in the nation in just a couple of months. There now is markedly more support for Republican policies in this nation than there are Democrats. That's changed in two months. Why? Look at what's happening around there. If they really wanted us to believe they're in this for election election integrity and to stop voter suppression, if they really believe that, they would come in and say, we got to fix the problem. What do we do to make it better? What can we do to make it fairer? What can we do to protect that every vote that is cast is a legal one. What can we do to make sure that's happening? That's not even been mentioned one time. Democrats see their panacea is to get everything they want and to ram it down Americans' throats. That's where we are today, folks. Keep your fingers crossed and pray. We don't want our election system destroyed. And that's exactly what will happen if there are issues within it, and there are. Fix them state by state. And if you want to do something from the White House, Uncle Joe, 
Have your DOJ come look at every election process in all 50 states and ensure Americans that voter integrity is controlling these elections and that every vote that is cast is a vote of somebody legally authorized by the Constitution and the laws of the country and the states to cast those votes. I think you'll see some support there if you'll do that. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. Talking about looking in every once in a while to the U.S. Congress and the work that they're doing when they're doing it. Watching the Senate floor, watching the House floor. Happened to catch yesterday a, um, a short speech on the floor of the House by a Texas legislator. I didn't even catch his name. Wait a minute, what it is. I can't remember his name. Um, But anyway, he was up to challenge Speaker Pelosi on the process that is being used in the House of Representatives and apparently has been for a long time, where when you have a big majority party in either chamber, You take an existing bill that's being considered for whatever, and then in committees, you start gutting it and putting into it just the things that you want to put in it, taking out the things that you don't want in it. But you leave the bill title and the bill number the same, and they make it where whoever sponsors and co-sponsors this bill, if they don't like what you're done with it when they get through, 
You can't take your name off of it. So they then will go to the American people and say, looky here, old Republican so-and-so, he co-sponsored this bill. He's in total support of it. And the people never know. Well, that's happened on a, a pretty significant bill in the House. And one legislator, he got up and said, I've had enough. Madam Speaker, I'm prevented by House rules from using the profanity that I'd like to because I stand here absolutely outraged. I'm outraged because the Democrats have outdone themselves with this lie. I'm outraged because the Democrats have made a mockery of bipartisan collaboration for cheap political gain. I'm outraged because the Democrats have not one ounce of respect for this institution. Are the rules, are the consequences of their actions in this chamber? A few hours ago, H.R. 5746 was the NASA Enhanced Use Leasing Extension Act, a simple three-page bill that was good for NASA, good for our space industry, and good for our taxpayers, a bill that I was very proud to co-sponsor. Now in the dark of night, this bill has been hijacked and mutilated to become the latest iteration of the Democrats' federal takeover of our election system, a wolf in sheep's clothing. In fact, the only thing left from this original bill is its number. And what's worse, I can't even remove my name as a co-sponsor. Isn't it ironic that the same bill the Democrats are using as a vehicle to steal elections in perpetuity was itself stolen? I can't say that I'm surprised. Just like with elections, if they can't do it legally, Democrats will find a way to hijack and steal it. And all of this from the party who claims Republicans are the obstructionists. Give me a break. Madam Speaker, I demand that my name be removed from this Trojan horse, and I urge every single one of my colleagues to vote no. So let me ask you a question. How many of you know that happened? Hardly any of you, if any. And we have thousands of people that are listening in today. It's buried. Mainstream media is certainly not going to cover that. That outrage, justified outrage, because a bill and its contents were torn apart by the Democrat Party, and it's this voter bill, and they're trying to come up with alternatives now very quickly, which means we gotta we got to go find something that's already being considered and just changed everything within it because it's already there, and we can just put it up in front of the line because their original one is not going to pass the Senate. This is the way our government works. It's very seldom about going through the front door, doing the right thing, being honest with everybody, honestly debating, instead of calling lobbyists and asking lobbyists what their clients think they should do, vote yes or no on any bill, Novel idea. Why don't you sit down with the people across the aisle from you, have a lunch, talk things through, convert them. Because you know why? Almost half of the people in the House of Representatives represent almost half the nation. The nation, you know, what's in a nation? Millions of people. We don't want any party, even if it's the Republican Party in Congress, just steamrolling through the minority just because they can. That is the antithesis to democracy. 
And it's even worse than that to our representative republic because in a true democracy, every citizen votes on everything. That's totally unfeasible and would never work out. So what did our forefathers do? Let's let the voters elect representatives to go to D.C. and make and craft and revise and do away with some laws and do some other things in governing, but always representing the people that sent them there. Democrats are doing their best to destroy that. Let's move on. Did you get any of the information coming out of Colleyville, Texas over the weekend about that synagogue attack? I mean, this guy, I I still can't figure out how he even got to the United States. He's got, in Britain, he has an arrest record that goes all the way back to early 2000s. And I saw just a list of the problems he's had when he's been arrested, served time as well, dozens and dozens of times. With all of that on his record, he got a visa to come to the United States. How could that happen? We don't know how he got from, uh, he came into, I think, JFK in New York, and he ended up like three or four days later in Colleyville, Texas. Don't know his mode of transportation, don't know who he interacted with, but to make a long story short, he is, according to the reports that we're finding now, which is interesting, the FBI came out, they didn't know squat about this guy. Well, we start digging what you would expect those in our government would do when somebody from a foreign country wants to come over here before we give them a visa to do so. We'd kind of like to need to know who they are. This guy is a radical Muslim extremist. Plain and simple. Now, he attacks a Jewish synagogue Saturday, Holy Day in Colleyville, Texas, takes some kidnap victims and holds them for hours and hours and hours. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. None of the victims were hurt. Nobody in the synagogue congregation was hurt. The only person that ended up on the bad end of that is the guy. He was shot by authorities before he could do anything. Let me tell you what this this got me thinking. After all those hostages were released from Beth Israel's synagogue, where they were held for, by the way, 11 hours, FBI special agent in charge, Matt DeSarno, from the Dallas field office, not a guy from D.C. This is a Texan, right? He told reporters that the gunman was focused on one issue, and that issue is unrelated to the Jewish community, and they are, are continuing to work to find the motive. He didn't tell in his press briefing that the one issue is the imprisonment of Ifa Siddiqui, also known as Lady Al-Qaeda, who is a Pakistani national who's serving an 86-year sentence in a prison less than 20 minutes from that synagogue. The gunman, who's a 44-year-old British citizen, was heard shouting about Siddiqui's release, demanding to speak to his sister, a terrorist whose release mainstream Muslim groups have recently been lobbying for. Akram, the shooter, he didn't shoot, thankfully. He died of gunshot wounds after the hostages were released. The FBI statement that they're continuing to work to find the motive 
is just another example of the FBI's ineptitude on multiple levels. The first is simply their refusal to even hint at the crime's motivation as anti-Semitism, which is the only accurate label for an attack at a synagogue on Shabbat where a, a rabbi and three congregates are held hostage. If the law enforcement community doesn't understand what's going on, they're not going to be able to address the fallout from this. That's from Kenneth Marcus, founder and chairman of the Louis, Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law. This was not a mere slip-up by the FBI. It's symptomatic of a widespread failure with law enforcement to understand the problems of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. But maybe even more frustrating is the FBI's corrupt obsession and use of resources on cases that suit their political fancy, like the January 6th Capitol riot or Operation Varsity Blues that's catching rich people scamming to get their underachieving kids into top universities while letting serious violent threats to Americans just fly under the radar. The BBC reports that Akram arrived in the U.S. through JFK two weeks ago. He's believed to have bought a handgun used in the incident after he got here which would have required him to pass a federal background check. That's a system run by none other than the FBI. The BBC report also said the FBI would be conducting investigations in Pakistan, where it is understood Akram had been recently to establish if he was acting alone or was supported by others. Perhaps he bought the gun on the street, as Joe Biden claimed on Sunday. But that still leaves the question as to what the FBI ought to know about who was helping foreigners who recently traveled to Pakistan, helping them purchase illegal firearms. Even with the details sparse, so sparse on what the FBI could or could not have known about the gunman, this caught-off-guard response from the feds is sadly what Americans have come to expect from the number one law enforcement agency in the world, which I no longer think is the number one law enforcement agency in the world, the FBI. Their failure from top to bottom in recent years, they're too long to list here. But looking at just the mass shootings and explosions alone that happened after the FBI was aware of the assailants as potential threats is frightening. Joy Pullman has documented a bunch of instances in which the FBI was aware of threats before the violence occurred and they did nothing. Here's a few. Remember 09, Fort Hood shooter who killed 13? Boston Marathon bombers of 2013 killed three, injured 264. And the Pulse nightclub shooter, he killed 49, wounded 53 more. All were known to the FBI. Several had been interviewed by the FBI before they went on their killing sprees. The FBI also warned numerous times about the Parkland, Florida school shooter before he killed 17, injured 17 more in 2018. It also knew beforehand about the 2018 Nashville Waffle House shooter who killed four, injured two more, and the 2020 Nashville RV bomber. The FBI's got another bad track record at categorizing motives in crime just as in Colleyville. Last spring, 
It was brought to light by a GOP congressman that after the 2017 congressional baseball shooting, the FBI told lawmakers the mass assassination attempt was officially designated as a suicide by cop. The Fort Hood attack carried out as radical Islamists was designated by the FBI as workplace violence. Whether it's their inability to move on these threats before they occur, and as you just heard, many of them, that's exactly what happens, or their corrupt labels after the fact, the FBI is notorious for botching both. In the Texas synagogue case, they've already missed the mark on one. It'll be wholly unsurprising if new details eventually confirm the other. Isn't it amazing that we're having this conversation? Why don't we do a quick transition? Why don't we do a little bit about our COVID paraphernalia, ancillary stuff? I tore the internet world apart this morning and even overnight to find some corroboration for what I'm about to tell you. And the corroboration is the published numbers. You're not going to believe this. Just for a second, think about how horrible coronavirus world is right now. Look at what it's doing to all of us. Look at what we're having to do to just simply try to survive. What about our kids' welfare? We can't get groceries. And when we do, we can't find the groceries we want or need. We can find gasoline, but the cost is a $1.50 a gallon more, if not more, than that from the day Joe Biden was elected president. Nobody's talking about these two things. Number one, did you know that the price of oil has gone, and almost overnight, has gone to the highest level it's been in years? The media's not even talking about that. And the way it works, when something bad happens and the price of oil goes up, we don't feel immediately the effects of that at the pump. The price at the pump stays the same for a little bit. But it's fixing to go off the radar screen. Don't hear anything about that. And I lay the responsibility for every bit of that at this administration's feet, period. There's no other way you can couch it. He started it. He went into office. He told us during his campaign, if you elect me, I'm going to destroy carbon energy, the whole industry. I'm going to do away with it. So that's number one. Number two, listen to this. Arizona and Texas, both of those two states, have recovered all the jobs that they lost from the pandemic. Every one of them, thanks to an influx of coastal urbanites and businesses into the state over the last couple of years. This is ironic, isn't it? These two states have now joined the ranks of Idaho and Utah for a 100% full jobs recovery. The latest statewide data from Texas dating back to November show that the Lone Star State added 28,000 more jobs than it counted in February of 2020, with Arizona, Idaho, and Utah adding 5,000, 14,000, and 61,000 new jobs, respectively. So if this pattern continues, and we're going to watch it now very closely, this is going to foreshadow a broader trend 
in which about one-third of U.S. states are going to return to the pre-pandemic job numbers by the middle of the current year. And that's not Dan talk. That's according to Moody's analytics economist Adam Kamens. These states, by the way, mostly Republican-leaning and clustered in the American interior, are continuing to benefit from a number of demographic and economic trends which have drawn a steady trickle of those coastal transplants and their capital to the Midwest, Rocky Mountains, and Southwest regions. On the coast, economic recovery has been stunted. With the affluent states of the Northwest and the Pacific burdened by high cost of living, rising crime, onerous coronavirus restrictions, demographers have predicted an exodus from the coast to the American interior for years. But that pattern's greatly picked up speed as a result of the ongoing pandemic and its downstream consequences. All four of the states which have reported job growth since February of 2020 or alike in holding relatively relaxed pandemic restrictions which have blunted the impact of the virus on these states' economies. Arizona rapidly returned to its prior peak of employment because, compared to the nation, they didn't fall as far. That's according to a University of Arizona economist. One big reason is because the stay-at-home order in Arizona wasn't very restrictive. The economic opportunity is a leading factor in this new wave of migration to the oft-overlooked American interior. Data from the census indicates that Texas has led the nation in total population growth from July 2020 to July 2021. A net population growth there. Guess how many? 310,000 new people in one year. Meanwhile, Arizona... Idaho, Montana, and Utah have led the nation with the largest percentage growth in population during that same time. You know, let me just tell you this. The definition of a good leader is somebody who examines the issues, every one of them, and whatever they're managing, whether it's a a small little mom-and-pop business or maybe it's a massive corporation, Fortune 500 company, every good manager looks at that, whatever is in his purview, his or her. And they look at all of the moving parts and they analyze what's there now, the problems that are in their entity, what's causing them, who's causing them, and then third, what do we do to fix it? There's a lot of people in management that will go those first steps, look at it, examine it, find the problems, How do you fix it? Most of them stop right there. A really good manager adds the fourth. Let's get it done. That is totally lacking in the United States Congress and in the White House, in the Biden administration. I am absolutely positive of that, folks. First of all, this White House, this administration, this president, they don't want to even admit that there are problems in the things that they already tackled and failed in. They refuse to accept responsibility for their failures. So how can you get any good coming out of anything that the people that cause it won't admit they caused it and they're still in power? (laughs) 
You think it can't get worse? Oh my gosh. I hate to say this, but watch them, folks. Watch the Biden administration. Watch the president. It's going to get worse. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. Yes. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. You know, something we haven't talked about the details regarding it in quite a while. Price of gasoline at the pump. Yeah, everybody, we just kind of take it for granted now. It's going up. It's going through the roof. When you start talking about the causes, it's hard to get a real answer, an honest answer to which people agree because we get these countering stories from the left that say we had nothing to do with that. That's because of it's happening because of this or that, and none of them will say it's because of the policies of this government. Well, <laughs> it begins on Inauguration Day, January 20th, 2021. What made it crank up? Joe Biden and the cancellation of the XL pipeline permit that the federal government controlled, at the same time announcing, we're not going to lease any more federal ground for petroleum drilling, which has been a mainstay of the carbon energy, carbon fuel industry. Stuart Varney, Fox Business, weighed in with a little different take. Here's Varney. Energy price inflation has arrived. Oh, you can see it and you can feel it. It is a huge political problem for the president. Come on, it's a, pres- it's a problem for us all. A cold snap hit the northeast and upper Midwest this week and electricity prices spiked. Utilities are having to pay up for increasingly scarce natural gas. You know, that's what happens when you shut pipelines, as the president did. Two days ago, Iranian-backed rebels attacked the big oil facility in Abu Dhabi. That's right at the center of the Mideast oil patch. That's why oil has spiked to $85 a barrel, highest in years. This is part of the pressure the Iranians are putting on President Biden in the nuke talks. Gas prices are high now, and they're going up some more, especially when you've got $85 a barrel oil. The president has no answer for this inflation spike. He's blaming oil companies and gas stations. Laughably, he blamed meat conglomerates for $5 a pound hamburger. But we pay for bad policy. 
Inflation leads to higher interest rates. Started already. Mortgage rates are up and your monthly payments will probably go up. The stock market's selling off, so your 401k is going down. It's time for the president to change course. Stop the wild spending. Raise energy production. But he won't. He can't. The socialists and the climate crowd run the Democrat Party these days. They don't care about inflation, but voters do. The president should hope for a little global warming this winter. It takes a Brit to come over here and get in the news to finally give us facts and truthfulness that our leadership on the left, that control everything, folks, the White House, the House, the Senate, they won't tell us that. Stuart Varney, a Brit, told us this, and he made a very salient conclusion for himself that he just shared with us. This has got to stop. This has all got to stop. President Biden's got to make it stop, right? But he won't. He can't. The socialists and the climate crowd run the Democrat Party these days. They don't care about inflation, but voters do. The president should hope for a little global warming this winter. Here's the sad thing about this. Do you know that we all know what the problems are? We all know that these big problems in Washington, we know they're much bigger than we even see. They're not telling us how bad it is, so it's got to be worse, right? We know it's not going to get better. Nothing changes if nothing changes. What a great intellectual thought. Nothing changes if nothing changes. For changes to happen, something's got to change that causes whatever we're trying to change. We got to do something, change something to fix every problem. And yeah, the list of problems in our nation is staggering in height. We can't do it all, but we can sure start on it, which I think we're in the process of doing now. And that start means getting the right people in leadership, the right people that are pulling the switches, that are making the choices and decisions and stop this insanity, this march toward, I don't know what it is. Socialism, I think I think we're way down that road now. I think it's much worse is what's happening. We can start with giving us our freedom of information. Give us that back. You, you don't have a legal right government to take it away from us, even though you feel like you do. You don't. Leave us alone and let us live our lives and give us truthful information in a timely fashion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something now. It's going to blow your mind. Absolutely going to blow your mind. We know that COVID cases, uh, this Omicron stuff, it's going through the roof, and we can't even imagine how bad it's about to be. We're told it's the end of the world. Well, guess what? You want some truth? COVID-19 case counts across the nation are dropping every day. Who's telling us about this? Nobody. They don't want us to think things are getting better. They want us to continue to believe the story that it's horrible people of America and 
We're the only ones that know what to do and how to do it. So just trust us. Give us the power to do what it is. Sit down and shut up after you give us the power. We're going to take care of things. 34 states have recorded a decrease in cases the last couple of days, not including states that reported a single day drop. That includes, by the way, some of the states that saw massive Omicron-fueled increases like New York, California, and Florida. Omicron is the newest variant of the virus, and it, we were told from the beginning, is going to be massive. It's much more transmissible. More cases are going to happen. We don't yet know how bad it is, yada, yada, yada. States in every region of the country, they're saying, ours are down. Our cases are lower. A smaller number have also seen a lower number of people being admitted to hospitals with or for COVID. Now, we know, at least we believe so far, what we're told that Omicron is more transmissible than Delta variant is, which dominated the U.S. for months last year. But it causes a smaller percentage of cases that require hospital care or lead to death. States saw a big increase in positive tests with the emergence of Omicron at the end of the year, in part because the COVID vaccines provide little protection against infection from the strain of Omicron. Cases in New York shot up above 90,000 on January 7th, have since dropped sharply. They're down to 26,000 total cases yesterday. Hospitalizations attributed to COVID have also gone down in a northeastern state. Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, worries that hospital admissions may go back up. But overall, she said the prognosis, the forecast for COVID is much brighter than it had been before. The COVID clouds are parting. Wouldn't that be a nice word to trumpet to the American people? Wouldn't it make us feel a little bit better about our lives and about our government if they would just give us the truth, the whole truth? Don't couch it. Don't feel like you have to translate it to us. Just give us all the facts. We're smart enough. We're smart enough to make it work. So you just heard that. Those are actual numbers. Let me give you a mainstream media perspective. Listen to this. Omicron rise is increasingly significant. The next few weeks are expected to be very difficult. Who's that from? Joe Biden, Surgeon General. Listen to this story that was prepared, mainstream media. Staffing shortages are developing as hospitals across the U.S. deal with a record number of COVID hospitalizations nearly two years after the pandemic began. As a result, healthcare workers face the risk of chronic exposure. Experts are urging Americans to remain cautious and attempt to avoid COVID-19 since the weeks ahead are expected to be difficult. Because increases in hospitalizations tend to lag spikes in overall cases, Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, warns the next three or four weeks are going to be hard for the country. Already there are more than 156,000 people hospitalized with COVID-19, according to data released Sunday by the Department of Health and Human Services. According to Jha, 
who spoke on Fox News on Sunday, I expect those numbers to get substantially higher. The problem is we're running out of healthcare workforce. We don't have the staffing. So that's going to be a challenge for many weeks ahead. So you hear all of this and it goes on and on and on. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to stop there, but they're building a narrative and they're pushing this narrative down the throats and into the minds of everybody in America, somebody 90 years old and somebody five or six years old are getting the same messages again and again. And once again, the surgeon general's got it wrong. He's bringing and handing off to all of us the Biden administration political narrative, not the factual information about the same story. Can you imagine within five minutes, I got both of these stories, one giving us actual facts. Things are getting better, much better, very quickly. And then the second one says gloom and doom, the Biden administration. This just proves my thesis. It's been my thesis for years now. They want to scare us to death, make us so afraid that we're all going to die if we don't listen to them and do everything they tell us to do. They use the fear to take over control of as many people about as many things as they possibly can. And it's working so far. We told you at the beginning of this about what's happening in Austria tomorrow. Their legislature is going to vote on making vaccine mandates mandatory for every Austrian citizen that's above the age of 18. And that didn't just happen, folks. There have been daily for months and months and months. Our media here in the U.S. don't cover it. In the big cities in Austria, Austrian people are in the streets fighting they're actually getting into fights with cops thousands at a time are demonstrating against these vaccination mandates. And they know that they were coming down and they've been watching and pushing back and talking to their legislative representatives and nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. Mainstream media is not covering it because they don't want us to see it. Because why? Because this is going to come to our shores. Before we're done, there will be a much bigger push toward vaccine mandates from the White House and eventually Congress. You better pray. You better pray and you better talk to your friends and family members that the midterm elections that are coming up, that Democrats lose their power to control so much in Congress. Because if we don't, we're going to be right there. You can book it. We're going to be right there where our Congress will be meeting. And just let me make it very clear. The only clear place in government where a legal mandate for vaccines like this, this whole process can happen is the United States Congress that would be constitutional. And as we've seen in his September from the top-down mandates that he pushed out through OSHA for worker vaccinations, even though the Supreme Court halted it, look how many people in the interim since September and last Friday, look how many people didn't want vaccinations, but because they got to work to feed their families and keep a roof over their heads, they went ahead and took it. Joe Biden knew this was not going to stand. 
his handlers, whoever it was that told him to do that, they knew that it wasn't going to pass muster in the Constitution and therefore the Supreme Court would kill it. But they said, look, we can do some really good stuff between now and then. So go ahead, Joe, push it out. And he did. And look what happened. I know a, I know a guy, a young man, my next door neighbor, their son, he lives in Utah and he works for a government defense contractor. He is anti-vax to the nth degree. I had a lengthy conversation with him about it. And he was fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. But the company that he worked for, because they're a defense contractor, and Biden's mandate, he very plainly made it clear that all of those people that have contract business with the federal government, their employees are going to have to be vaccinated. And he was forced to get one. And looking back in retrospect, in his rearview mirror, I haven't talked to him, but I guarantee you, he now wishes he hadn't. How many other Americans are in that same boat? There's a bunch, folks. And speaking of COVID-19, and speaking about the Biden administration, what about the COVID testing debacle? Well, there's no testing debacle. They got it, they got it going on, right? Saki wouldn't say yesterday if Biden knew of a next plan to mass mail COVID tests. Listen to this. The Biden folks, they finally began mailing rapid at-home COVID tests to the American people. Better later than never, right? Well, households, no matter what size, we didn't know this before. Saki didn't tell us this. One household can order only one pack of four COVID tests, meaning households that got more than four people slap out of luck. You're going to have to pick which kids you don't want to get tested, right? Note that a household, by the way, is not identified as a family, but rather as an address. In other words, only four Americans at any address will be able to test for free. And this stipulation hasn't been very well received, including by the left. A guy named Dr. Thrasher tweeted, Imagine the therapy bills that will arise in households of more than four when parents decide who's going to forego a test. Will it be the kid they love the least? Grandma? The husband or the wife? Carrie Luna, I've ordered my measly allotment of four free COVID tests for my family of four, and you too can claim your small gesture from a government who could and should be doing so much more. Claire Tron, does your household have more than four people, but the government is only sending you four COVID tests? You can share tests. Kiss your roommate a little to swirl around your saliva. The test will still work with a combination of the two. Yvette Datramont. True story. If you have a buttload of roommates, you still only get four tests. I live in a giant Victorian house with 11 people. We still get four tests for 11? At USPS, are we supposed to share swabs? Leslie Mack. Look at these racial stats and add them to the CDC testing guidelines. You're supposed to test if you're symptomatic and again five days later. You can only get four tests per household. By percentage, which households were used to set that baseline? Just when you think it can't get worse. 
it does get worse. And on this pile of COVID insanity and misinformation, there are some other news. COVID-19 was less lethal across every age group in its first full year than previously reported and previously beaten into our brains to scare us to death. That's according to an updated review of global research from Stanford, Stanford University's Meta Research Innovation Center. Between summer and 20 last year, summer and Christmas last year, metrics estimate of deaths fell, excuse me, from infection fell by 50% in every age group, including young folks and less sharply in others. The international estimates, which have not yet been peer-reviewed, are not substantially different from the CDC's own best estimate of COVID mortality here. It was last updated in March. I wonder why. I mean, folks, we're just a couple of months away from being a year, and we've not gotten any updated mortality data from the CDC. They use different age ranges, making exact comparisons a bit difficult comparing us to the rest of the world. The findings raise questions about ongoing COVID restrictions and mandates, particularly for our children, school children, and college students who remain at the lowest overall risk from infection, but we're going to vax them. We're going to vax them. So Joe fixed everything. I mean, now, I mean, you just go to this website and order your test and bam, in seven to 12 days, you're going to have them, right? Well, it didn't quite work out that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, the website crashed twice. (laughs) You can't make this up. And listen to the other faux pas in this whole thing. There, Every issue that's important to the American people, every single one, when they come up and they start being implemented, the plans to fix this or fix that, it just fails in almost every case. It just fails. Look at the pullout of Afghanistan. Nobody in their right mind can say that was effective and that it worked. We still have Americans that can't get out of Afghanistan, that are scared to death for their lives. How many times has Joe Biden talked about that of late? We'll never hear that word, Afghanistan, come out of his mouth. So here's the other big faux pas about this. What if you live in an apartment building, a high-rise, maybe one of those penthouse structures that are 40, 50 stories tall in Manhattan? Do you know that these free test kits They can only go to one address. So if you live in an apartment complex that with all of the apartment occupants added up is about four or 500, you know how many tests that group of four or 500 people get? Four. I'm serious. (laughs) I am dead serious. Can you imagine if this would have or anything like this would have happened on Donald Trump's watch. Honestly, when I said that, I just had an epiphany. I guarantee you, we're going to find out. Somebody at the White House or somebody in the administration is going to publicly say Trump didn't do something to make tests available. This wouldn't be happening now if Donald Trump has done his job. Oh, in the middle of all of this 
pandemonium in our uh, in our government in our Congress. I can hardly believe this. Two more House Democrats announced yesterday they're not going to run for office for re-election. Representatives Jen, Jim Langevin of Rhode Island, a Democrat, he's been in Congress for 20 years. Jerry McNerney, Democrat from California, he's represented parts of California since 07. And they're going to retire, they say. In November, they're going to retire. Langman's 57. He said that he wanted to spend more time with his family and friends. He wasn't sure what he'll do after he leaves D.C. He's a quadriplegic. He's represented Rhode Island's 2nd Congressional District since 2001 after serving as a state secretary of state for six years, spending a couple of terms in Rhode Island's House of Representatives. McNerney is 70. He didn't give a reason for retiring though he noted that redistricting would have forced him to run in a reshaped district this year. I'll keep working for the people of my district throughout the remainder of my term and look forward to new opportunities to continue to serve. Well, what these numbers mean, these two doing this, there are now 29, 29 Democrats in the House who aren't running for office to keep their own seat in Congress, in the House, in November, 29. Now, folks, normally, if things are working pretty good, everybody hangs on because they went there to get stuff done. How do you get stuff done? Well, the first thing you got to do is be there, right? This only happens when the rats start leaving the ship because they know what? The ship is going to sink. And this ship, the Biden ship, it's sinking and sinking fast. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. helping hand those who fall and get back up and long live the truck with the strength to overcome the will to outwork and the commitment to outlast them all ram proven to last you love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview. 
and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. Left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. Which side do you take? The side of the truth on TNN. TruthNewsNet.org, the Truth News Network. Let's segue to a different topic for a bit, how about? Well, Joe Biden's name's still involved in this, and yes, he's involved in it because of stuff he did and didn't do. And uh, we're going to get to that. It's about how bad our crime is in the nation. Now, it's been bad for some time. I think it began, there's always been crime. There will always be crime. People are going to do the wrong things. But what we try to do is we create law enforcement all across the nation, federal, state, local levels, that handled everything necessary to stop as much crime as we possibly can, especially the bad ones like murders and rapes, those kind. None of them are good, but those are just untenable. It's failing, and it's failing miserably. What's changed? Well, what's changed is the support of the American people for members of the law enforcement community. That's number one. The second thing that's changed is the total politicization of our law enforcement system by Democrats. Folks, George Soros, you know who he is, one of the wealthiest people on the earth, He despises Americans' law enforcement community. He thinks that we go overboard in everything we do, that our jails are fuller than they should be. They are, by the way. We have more incarcerated people here than any other country on the planet. But, of course, there's a reason for that. Our history has been, here's our laws. You break our laws, do the crime, pay the the fine, whatever that works out to be. And on the most part, we've enforced that. Enforcement not only stops that individual and punishes that individual for what they did. You can't fix the harm that they did in every case. That's understandable. But what it also does does is it incentivizes people not to break the law. So why are homicide rates just going through the roof across the nation. It's not just homicide, of course, but those are the most egregious offenses that people are perpetrating on others. Why is it so bad? Let's welcome back to the show former NYPD detective. He's Dr. Oscar Odom. It's great to see you again, doctor. Doctor, your reaction to this, a little over four out of 10 of Washington, D.C.'s murders have led to arrests. And, you know, criminologists say this could get worse because the murder rate is the highest since 1993. This is a story coming out of Fox Digital. What do you say to this story? Well, it's unbelievable when you look at it, especially when you have detectives that are able to work and solve crimes. But we have a problem or issue with the public now because of mistrust because of previous cases that have arisen. However, the fact is we know that the majority of police officers are 
good officers, they do the right thing, that small percentage winds up tainting officers, and there lies the problem. And we must extend the olive branch to build police community relations again, because this is terrible. And the public are the ones that are suffering now with the crime rate rising exponentially now. And where's the White House in getting the DOJ to stop weak on crime prosecutors building a revolving door for criminals? Let's listen to these sound bites of what people are saying about what's going on in our nation's capital. Watch this. The interesting thing that we've seen over this year as our homicide rates have gone where they've gone is the community is actually not in that same place. The community is actually asking, where are our police officers? The homicide rise in so many places was so abrupt, and it began just about a day or two after George Floyd was killed. Departments simply aren't able to adapt as rapidly as the homicides are going up. And then if you add in the pandemic and depletion in police ranks, that makes solution even more difficult. Across the country generally, but especially in communities that are hardest hit by high homicide rates, there is this hopelessness that there's really nothing that can be done and that it is this chronic problem that is beyond sort of solving. The George Floyd murder was roundly condemned. What happened afterward, the criminologists are saying, and as you pointed out too, that there's a combination of dramatic events that are taking place that's causing a nationwide crime wave. We see it in city and urban city in urban areas around the country. What do you say to this? Well, one of the things that, that I say is that public safety is an issue that cuts across all social economical levels. Everybody's concerned with public safety, whether you're rich or you're poor. Everybody believes in public safety. Public safety is key, is vital to our economy, and is vital to our humanity. When we look at these different things, I hate to keep on going back to the fact of when we look at, as I stated earlier, see something, say something. But if I see something and say something and you do nothing, there's a public safety issue, there's a public safety problems. And recent cases and the public outcry has shown that the fund the police movement was not a great idea because of the fact everybody's concerned about public safety, regardless of social economical levels. Those are facts, folks. Everybody is afraid about lawlessness and criminal activity. It's just a fact. Nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to be the victim of any criminal action whatsoever. And it's for that reason that legal processes were invented all the way back to the beginning of humanity. There's always been a reason to make sure everybody doesn't have unilateral permission to just do anything and everything that they want when it comes to impacting other people. Why things changed? Why in the last two years have things really changed? It's real simple. I think everybody understands this, maybe doesn't want to accept it in some cases, but it's because of the lack of consistency in our leadership on any of these, all of these issues. It's waffling about everything. And the waffling is what upsets people. And folks, let me just say this. Criminals are going to conduct criminal acts unless and until somebody stops them and holds them accountable. That's a fact. That's just the way it works. The number one reason, and this is my opinion, the number one reason why all of this really bad criminal activity has not only continued but escalated 
is because nobody's holding the people that are escalating these criminal acts. Nobody's holding them accountable. I mean, our newest district attorneys, the round of them that came in office around the nation back last fall, every one of them, it seems like every single one of them is soft on crime. The new DA in Manhattan just last week, he just set the world on fire when he announced he's not going to enforce the laws that he doesn't agree with. By the way, he's elected. That's not something that he has authorization of the power in the New York Constitution that allows a district attorney to just not enforce the law. It's going to be interesting to watch this. This guy that's a DA in L.A., he makes it very clear. He doesn't want anybody to go to jail. No matter what they do, they didn't mean it. They had a bad daddy problem when they were growing up. We need to work with them on getting past the bad daddy problem. All kinds of excuses. But it boils down to one thing, the rule of law. The rule of law is being trampled on every day and trampled on by people in this administration from the top to the bottom. Joe Biden appointed Merrick Garland to be the secretary of the Department of Justice. Merrick Garland has turned and walked away from basic fundamental law enforcement issues that any Department of Justice is supposed to make priority number one. He's let the FBI just run rampant doing whatever they want to do. We have no concept of how much evil permeates the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C., the headquarters for the FBI, from top to bottom. We have no idea. And some of it slips out every now and then, like this shooter at that synagogue in Texas over the weekend. The FBI agent, special agent that came out, this is a guy that's a career guy. He's been around for a long time. He knows the FBI top to bottom. He refused to say the attack was based on anti-Semitic feelings by this perpetrator. When obviously, when you look at the, the pieces of the puzzle, there's no way to consider it any other way. Why would one of the top FBI agents even think about doing something like that unless he is caught up in the political narrative that says we got to go softer on crime. We don't want to point fingers at people and make other people think that those people in that person is bad just because of who they are. That thought process itself is permeating the leadership in law enforcement across the nation. And unless and until that is rectified, folks, it's not only not going to stop, it's going to get worse. Truth will fix it if those that have the power to fix it will listen to. I mean, not hear. I'm just saying listen to the facts as they're coming out of this. Just recently, just in the past little bit, news slipped out from Michigan. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, she's been kind of a fly in the ointment for Democrats and Republicans both. Her administration underreported the number of nursing home residents who died from COVID 
and not just a little bit, by 30%. Now, this is from the Michigan State Auditor General. Auditor General Doug Ringler, he's been haggling with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services for months over the numbers and how to count them. His final report was just made. At the start of the pandemic, the governor, a Democrat, issued an emergency executive order to place every infected senior citizen in extended care facilities that had the ability to isolate them in a designated wing. And so, as the infection spread, many residents and care workers died. The audit found that 8,061 elderly Michiganders died of the disease in the state's nursing homes. That's just between March 2020 and July 2021. The officially posted death toll is 5,675, as self-reported by the state's extended care facilities, which is required by law. On the face of this, that appears to be an undercount of, oh, 42%. The audit provides 13 pages of explanation of why the real undercount is only 30%. The auditor's findings has prompted Republican State Representative Stephen Johnson, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, to call for hearings. Now, this just goes beyond the pale. Come on now. You're going to call for hearings? You have the evidence, audited evidence, in your hand. Instead of calling for a hearing, how about convening an investigation. Why not just start a real investigation and have the people that have the authority to act on the findings of this investigation and hold anybody and everybody accountable that were involved in it, just skip to that rather than hold hearings. I am so tired of the politics and the politicization of everything. People died. People died. And the governor of Michigan, based on her policies, which said, take these elderly people and put them in these long care facilities and make them stay there even after they test positive. And they then expected nobody was going to catch it that was already there. None of the workers at that facility are going to catch it. Hold the people accountable. Novel idea, huh? Well, another little goodie slipped out yesterday late. The Department of Defense missed a deadline to produce a report on that estimated $85 billion in U.S. weaponry that got left behind in Afghanistan. Congress approved legislation in September that required Department of Defense officials to report on the property on the equipment and the supplies that were destroyed, taken out of Afghanistan, or that are still there. The DOD had 90 days to send that report to Congress. After the December 29th deadline came and went, no word from the Pentagon, Representative Andy Barr from Kentucky and 26 other Republicans demanded answers from the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. The DOD is over two weeks late on its reporting 
deadline, the letter said, totally disregarding congressional accounting of taxpayer-funded equipment abandoned by the Biden administration and left in possession of the Taliban. This is from their letter. This lack of information prevents Congress from being able to accurately and effectively conduct oversight over the tens of billions of dollars of equipment that we invested in Afghanistan over the past 20 years, creates vulnerabilities in our national security. The lawmakers cite concerns from General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who told Congress on September 29 the condition in Afghanistan could yield the reemergence of al-Qaeda or ISIS in the region in three years or less. Lawmakers said it's of the gravest concern that they don't have a full account of the weapons available in a potential hotbed for terrorism. According to a January 13 report, in Pakistan, at least some of the arms are winding up in the hands of the Pakistani Taliban, Tariq Taliban Pakistan, citing an unnamed source with knowledge of the TTP affairs. TTP stands for Tariq Taliban Pakistan. Radio Marshall said Pakistani Taliban fighters have obtained U.S.-made M-16 machine guns, M4 assault rifles fitted with night vision. The influx of arms has coincided with an increase in attacks by the TTP on Pakistani government forces. Now, you, you get what this is about. Who caused that to happen? There's only one answer, Joe Biden the president of the United States. Folks, you know, I don't I don't like to be dramatic. I don't like to go out on a limb or try to hackle people and get everybody up emotionally or whatever, but that alone is grounds to impeach anybody in our government that would not only allow something like that to happen, but literally authorize it and make it happen. along with posting a risk to our national security and stability in the region. That abandoned military equipment may also threaten the safety of America's Afghan allies. That's because the equipment left behind included U.S. surveillance tools that observers say could be used to track down those who worked with the United States during a 20-year occupation of the country. New York-based group Human Rights First announced that Taliban fighters had captured devices known as handheld interagency identity detection equipment, which were used by soldiers to scan the biometrics of Afghans to match fingerprints on improvised explosive devices, as well as for other such forensic investigations that occurred. We understand the Taliban is now likely to have access to various biometric databases and equipment in Afghanistan, including some left behind by coalition military forces. This technology is likely to include access to a database with fingerprints and iris scans and include facial recognition technology. Former U.S. Army prosecutor John Mayer, not the singer, John Mayer, he said in August the Taliban probably doesn't have the technical skills to utilize those devices, but said they could be aided by more sophisticated governments like uh, China or Iran. 
the recently passed National Defense Authorization Act in the past couple of weeks, signed into law in December 2021, also calls for Pentagon audits on the equipment and weapons left in Afghanistan, including abandoned or destroyed biometric equipment or tools. The NDAA also calls for an assessment of whether the Taliban breached the Department of Defense's automatic biometric identification system. That's the central database that stores the biometrics that soldiers capture in the field, as well as an explanation of the current efforts to ensure the security of all Department of Defense biometric databases. They have till March to complete these reports, but the Republican lawmakers said in their letter they shouldn't have to wait until then. That is why Congress required your department to comply by December 29th, they wrote. We urge that you work with your service secretaries and General Frank McKenzie to produce the required information for Congress immediately. And of course, the Pentagon hadn't said a word about it. Not a peep. Here's another little travesty. Communist China is in the process of closing a transaction to buy Canadian lithium mining operation company for $960 million. This is in Canada, folks. Canada's liberal government allowed a Chinese state-owned company to bid on a Canadian lithium mining operation They didn't even launch a formal national security review while this was going on. Chinese firm Zijin Mining and Canadian Neolithium Corporation have agreed to an acquisition and are close to completing the business deal, making it happen. It's been in the the making since October when Zijin Mining first announced it was looking to buy the Toronto company for a price tag of $960 million. Last year, Canada categorized lithium as a critical mineral. Lithium is predominantly used to manufacture electric vehicle batteries and is a comparatively rare element. Besides that, in cooperation with U.S. regulators, the two governments struck a deal to acquire battery minerals in order to outcompete China which plays an outsized role in the rare earth mineral market worldwide right now. According to Neolithium spokesperson Carlos Vizens, the liberal government only conducted a brief initial security screening before giving the deal a green light. said this, The law states they have 45 days after announcement to start a review if they believe there is a specific concern. The timeline passed in early December. No review was done. And this is not the first time China and Chinese companies have sought to break into the nation's, Canada's, natural resource and mining sector by simply acquiring, buying Canadian companies. In December of 2020, the federal government rejected a bid by Chinese corporation Shandong Gold Mining to acquire TMAC resources, none of it Hope Bay Mine, for $149 million. The deal triggered a formal national security review which stopped the purchase from going forward. Just another little something out there. 
And guess what the latest is on Mr. Zuckerberg? CNBC reports that real estate in the metaverse is on the rise. I'm not going to get in with what the metaverse is. Google it, M-E-T-A-V-E-R-S-E. With some completely digital plots of land selling for millions of dollars. A report from cryptocurrency asset manager Grayscale recently estimated the digital world may be a $1 trillion business in the near future. And Zuckerberg is at the bottom of it. I know that shocks you. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, they're involved in something like that. (laughs) But he is, folks. Follow the money, right? Follow the money. Hey, listen, thank you for being here today. A lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to get better, folks. It's going to get better. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow, Thursday, right here at TNN Live. So long. Something in your eyes Makes me want to lose myself Makes me want to lose myself In your arms My heart beat fast Hope this feeling lasts The rest of my life If you knew How lonely My life has been And how low I felt so long If you knew How I wanted Someone to come along And change my life The way you've done Feels like home to me Feels like home to me Feels like I'm all the way back Where I come from Feels like home to me Feels like home to me Feels like I'm all the way back
Where I 